If you would now, please turn with me to the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John in chapter 6, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 15, John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip said to him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of the disciples Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number, about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of fish, as many as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain, so that nothing is lost. And therefore they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. Therefore, when they perceived that they, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and make and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together, this time uh, reading, hearing, and preaching your word. Maintain the honor of your scriptures. Enlighten us this morning. Magnify your name and your word above all things. We pray that you would make your word glorious and honorable in our sight. Let those who have been blinded by the God of this world see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Let those who are like sheep going astray return to Jesus Christ, 
the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Let those who are striving to enter through the narrow gate find rest for their weary souls in the Savior this morning. In his name we pray, amen. This is the only miracle that is recorded for us in all four Gospels. And each Gospel writer uh, emphasizes one aspect or another. In the book of John, it has, a, it has an important place because John focuses on seven signs. Seven signs that reveal something about Christ. We already saw the water turn to wine in chapter 2, the cleansing of the temple in chapter 2, the healing of the nobleman's son in chapter 4, the healing of the lame man in chapter 5. We'll see the healing of the blind man in 7 and the raising of Lazarus in 11. But here in chapter 6, we have the feeding of the 5,000. And you know, countless Bible stories and children's stories have been told about the feeding of the 5,000. If you've spent any time in church, growing up in church, you've heard the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Yeah, skeptics and liberals, this, this is one of the miracles of Jesus that they work really hard on trying to debunk. They, they try to explain it all away. Uh, you know, well, one which I think is the funniest is that Jesus was actually standing over a hole and his disciples were passing food through his sleeves so that he would give it out to people. A, a, uh, a, a more lighthearted approach of liberals is that really what happened was when they saw the young boy's willingness to give his fish, everybody broke out all their food and it was just a big love feast and everybody shared everything they had. But that is not the picture at all. This uh, chapter Six comes right after chapter five. Uh, deep truth there. And it closely resembles the chapter five. Re- remember in chapter five, uh, you had the miracle of the lame man and then the teaching, Jesus' teaching. And the, if you, we wanted to capture the essence of his teaching, really it's in chapter 517. My father has been working until now. And I have been working. The essence of his teaching here in chapter 6 is this. So the miracle, of course, is the multiplication of bread and fish. But the, the teaching, the essence of it is, is it's captured in multiple places, but I think verse 48 really puts it um, just succinctly. And it's, I am the bread of life. Jesus satisfies the greatest need we have. Let's take a look at the setting here. So we have the setting is verses 1 through um, one through 4. And then we have the, the situation that, that arises in light of this setting, verses 5 through 9. 
and then we have um, five through nine, and then we have Jesus's response. Jesus's response, how Jesus responds to the situation, and then we have the people's response to Jesus's response. So let's let's take a look at um, the setting first. The setting first. After these things, after what happened in chapter five. And now note how chapter 5 ends. The way that chapter 5 ends is really important. Because at the end of chapter 5, we hear these words. Uh, I'll begin reading from verse 45. Jesus says, Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And what is chapter 6 about? Manna. Bread from heaven. Chapter 6 really shows how... That event when God provided bread and meat for the people in abundance was a prophetic prefiguring of what Christ provides for his people. And now, uh, in history then, Jesus sort of, uh, he, he reveals this truth to them. And then he teaches from the Old Testament. Several authors have noted something very interesting here, too, that Jesus crosses the sea, the people follow him, they see the signs he accomplishes, he goes up on a mountain, and then he provides for them in the wilderness. That's exactly what Moses did (laughs) in the Exodus. And really, uh, the ministry of Jesus... uh, surpasses that of Moses. He is the great prophet, and that is exactly what the people say, is it not, after they see the miracle. They say, this is truly the prophet who is come into the world. They get it. They get exactly what Jesus is doing, and they understand that he is the coming prophet, yet with bad intentions. Now, as Jesus leaves, uh, he leaves for several, several reasons. First, persecution. In Mark chapter uh, persecution, Matthew chapter 14, verse 13, John the Baptist is beheaded. And when Jesus hears of this, he departs. He leaves Jerusalem. And, and he heads to Galilee, towards this region. Um. In Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 31, uh, another reason why Jesus heads towards Galilee is now he is preparing his disciples. He had already sent them out, and they went preaching, and they returned, they came back, and they gave Jesus a report. Then uh, the apostles gathered to Jesus, and they tell him everything they had done and what they had taught. And he says to them, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest for a while. And many people started coming to them. So many people that they didn't even have time to eat. So what Jesus is doing, he's, he's 
fleeing persecution, not because he's afraid, but, but because his time has, had not yet come. And he needs some time now to prepare his disciples for what is about to happen. Luke fills in a little bit more detail, and he says in Luke uh, 9-11, when the multitudes knew that they were trying to get away, they followed him. And what does Jesus do? Jesus receives them, and he spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who had need of healing. So all of these things are sort of converging as Jesus is about to do this miracle. Persecution is arising. He's trying to prepare his disciples. And the crowds are just persistently pressing him for preaching and for healing. And so he goes over the Sea of Galilee, which is Tiberias. And these great crowds, they follow him. Now, the, the language that's used here is the language of discipleship. Look at, chapter, look at chapter 6, look at verse 60, the way that this group is described. We'll look at this later in more detail. 660. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? And basically, yes, it does offend them. Look at verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back, went back and walked with him no more. They left. So these crowds that are following him, they're hearing him teach the kingdom. So it's not that they're, they're, they're hearing the preaching. He's not just doing miracles. But they are not following him because of his doctrine. They're following Jesus because of what they think he can do for them. Because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were diseased. That's what it says at the end of verse 2. In chapter 8. That's really why they were following him. They wanted free health care. <laughs> of course, the, the work that Jesus was doing was miraculous. I mean, he's, he's uh, healing blind people, giving those who cannot hear their uh, hearing back those who are mute. He's allowing them to speak. In the Gospels, there's this, in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's this big focus on exorcisms and men and women who are possessed by, by demons. He is liberating and freeing them. So there is a vast multitude of people coming to Jesus, but the reason they're coming is not because they're interested in his teaching. So what does he do? Jesus goes up on a mountain. And there he sits with his disciples. In Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, at the Sermon on the Mount, this is exactly what Jesus does. He goes up on a mountain, and he has a seat, and then he begins to teach. 
More than likely, that's what he was going to do here. He was going to begin to teach his disciples again. This is generally the posture that teachers would take. Maybe we should recapture it, right? We could sit up here instead of standing during the entire sermon. But, but Jesus is in a posture where he is prepared to start teaching. But he sees something else. There, a, a concern really arises. Look at verse 4. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Now catch that, a feast of the Jews. Well, why is John writing that way? Why is he saying that? His audience is primarily a Gentile audience. So he is explaining to the a Gentile audience, those who are reading his gospel. And this is an important point. That this, uh, John is recording history, but this history is meant to be read. Right? His audience wasn't there. They're reading these things, and John is communicating to them all of the goings-on. And he wants them to understand what's happening. So the Passover was that one time of the year where Jerusalem was packed. I mean, it was full to the brim. Why? Because the, the Jewish people were celebrating the deliver, their deliverance. That they had been redeemed from bondage and a sacrifice was offered so that they were protected from the avenging angel. And Jesus isn't in Jerusalem. And these 20,000 people aren't in Jerusalem. They're not there. They're following Jesus. This is supposed to have a, a, this is a big deal. And I said 20,000 people, of course, because the word that's used here for 5,000 is 5,000 men. And... Um, but during that time, the men were married. So if you say, let's say they all had wives, that doubles your numbers. And let's say they all had two kids, which was very uncommon. They usually had more, but let's just give them two kids each. You're talking about 20,000 people following Jesus around. How many people live in Kerhunson? What's What's the number? Is it, is it 20,000 people? I, I have no idea. I don't know. Somebody can Google that. Then 20,000 people following Fernando around. So, so, that, so, so, so he, that's the context, right? Jesus is, he's, he's a, he, he is fleeing persecution because his time had not yet come. John had, had been beheaded already. And the uh, Jewish leaders were uh, looking for Jesus. He is now wanting to prepare his disciples. He sent them out to, to do works. And he sent them out to preach the gospel. And they returned to him. And they're probably weary and tired. And now there's this Jewish festival, so, so uh, feast, the, the Passover. So there are all of these people everywhere, and they're preaching and healing, and they're trying to withdraw. And Jesus is sort of trying to set up a time where he can teach his disciples, and they are overrun with 
request. In Mark chapter 6, uh, so, so now we, we, verses 5 through 9 here in John, give us the situation, sets up the situation for us. Mark adds this. In Mark 6, it says, When the day was far spent, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy some bread, for they have nothing to eat. So uh, it's getting late. The people are hungry. Jesus, send them away. And then Jesus lifts up his eyes. I don't know if you remember that one. When he was speaking with his disciples, the Samaritan woman leaves. And then she goes and she evangelizes in the city. And then all of these Samaritans are coming. And Jesus says to his disciples, he says, lift up your eyes. The fields are white for harvest. So Jesus sees this multitude of people. And what is his response? He says to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? We've got to feed them. We're not going to send them away. We've got to do something for them. Now, the reason he asked Philip is probably because Philip is from that region. You know, he probably knew some bakers and some fishermen from that area. So he asked him, uh, in, you know, in John 144, it says that Philip is from Bethsaida. So he asked him, hey, where are we going to get the bread? Where are we going to feed all these people? And listen to how he says it. He doesn't say from who. He says from where. It, it, it's, a, it's a question of origin. What's going to be the origin of this bread Where's it going to come from? And we're told why he asks this question. He said this to test him. For he himself knew what he would do. So, so the point of setting this up in the Gospel of John here doesn't really have to do so much with the people. Jesus sees the need, and he asks the question to test his disciples. That's the point of the feeding of the five. The, the feeding of the 5,000 isn't so much so that we say, wow, Jesus can feed 5,000 people. Because, because, let's say, every person who has eaten today on this planet, ate because God provided food for them. Every animal on land, in the air, and in the sea. God is constantly providing for all of our needs. It's not, God doesn't sweat it, right? At the end of the day, if we happen to eat some extra calories, God's not like, woof, Took a lot to feed him today. No sweat. He has infinite power. The miracle was to divide. 
because the miracle isn't the point. He performs the miracle so that he could teach. That's why he does it. Look at verses 67 and 68. We looked at verse 66, how many left. Now look at verse 67. Then Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go? And what does Peter say? Peter says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Basically. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Where are we going to go? I'm not going nowhere. I don't care what these crazy people do. Let them all leave. J.C. Ryle said, Our Lord knows the sluggishness and coldness of our hearts. And he sees it good to stir our spiritual senses and to draw our spiritual desires by such a mode of dealing with us, by testing us. He does it often to his disciples. God does it often in the Bible in God's providence. We saw it this morning looking at several passages. Jesus's, you know, Jesus's actions don't tend to cause division so much. People, you know, uh, the secular world likes the stuff that Jesus did. He's a good, right? They don't like what he taught, though. If they, uh, especially if they really pay attention, if they just think that Jesus taught, you know, do good to others as they would do unto. That's not the focus of his teaching. The the focus of Jesus is is the the point that really causes division is you will go to hell if you don't believe in me. Or said another way, you will not go to heaven if you don't believe in me. And so Jesus tests his disciple by asking him what he's going to do. The test is really for them. That, that, that's who is it, that's who it's for. The sign is for, it, it's a test for the disciples. What is he about to do? How do they think about Jesus? What is he able to do? And then Philip answers in verse 7. 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. So he fails. <laughs> he failed the test. He said, we don't have enough money to feed you. That's a, so um, you read the commentaries, listen to preachers. P- people are sort of divided, but the general consensus is it's about a year's worth of wages. So if you think of a median income in America, what a person in median income makes for six months' worth of work. That's not going to be enough to feed all these people, whatever that might be. So even if it's 20000 you know, 20, you know, we can't feed these people with $20,000, say. So he doesn't get it. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, He's also from Bethsaida. And what's interesting is, Andrew is not a Jewish name. Andrew's a Greek name. 
And um, so, uh, which is going to be important in a second. He says, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are these among so many? You have to, so, so what's going on here? So the first is, uh, so Philip, um, Philip fails the test because the way that Philip thinks is um, our human resources can't provide for the need that we have. And that's where we tend to fail many times. We see uh, uh, the impossibility of a situation and we think, well, I can't work that much. You know, we don't have that much money. We don't have that many people. We don't have that much space. We don't have... And what kept Philip from advancing was his lack of confidence in what Christ could actually do. Now, granted, he, just, he, was, he was there when he turned water into wine. He was there. But what does Simon, Simon's brother do? Andrew. Because he fails also. What he does, though, it's, it's a little closer to what a Bible-believing person would do. Look at 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. So where, so where Philip thinks human resources... What, 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 can, what can we do out of our own power and ability to provide for all these people? Nothing. We can't do anything. We're stuck. Sorry, Jesus. Send them, send them away because they're going you know, to start getting hangry soon. <laughs> um, um, uh, Andrew thinks Bible so in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 42, we have this story of, of uh, Elisha. Um, verse 42. Then a man came from Baal, Shalisha, and brought the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley bread. This word for, um, well, let me keep reading. Barley bread, what, what kind of bread did the little boy have? Loaves of barley is what the little boy had in John also. Uh, barley's like a, a really, you know, it's, it's, it's the stuff that they would give to animals to eat. It's really rough. You, you know, so if, if animals weren't eating it, really poor people were. It was really tough bread, kind of like a biscuit, almost a really hard biscuit. Not like Rick's biscuits, but they were. But they were little little biscuits. So, but this. So so uh, first fruits, twenty loaves of barley bread, and newly ripened grain in his knapsack. 
And he said, give it to the people that they may eat. But his servant said to him, what? Shall I set it? Set this before a hundred men? Does this sound familiar? He said, give it to the people that they may eat. That's, that's exactly what Jesus says when he begins to break the bread. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left over. What do they collect? Twelve leftover baskets of bread. So he said it before them, and they ate and some left over, according to the word of the Lord. Andrew thinks, you know, when Elisha multiplied bread, yeah, at least he had 20 loaves and there were 100 guys, you know? He had 20 little briquettes. I could see that, you know? But <laughs> it's 2,000 people, Jesus, and he's got dried little fishies and five little biscuits. This ain't, this ain't you know, we, we can't, you know, we can't do this. So he fails too because he thinks that Jesus is sort of locked into this, uh, locked into this paradigm where, yeah, he does miraculous stuff, but you know, Elisha gave by the power of God. Jesus gives bread as God. And Andrew didn't get that. That was the issue with Andrew. So, so Andrew fails also, but at least he's thinking biblically, right? And uh, then Jesus, back, back, to, uh, back to John. Turn back to John. So that's our, our setting. I look at chapter 10. Now we have the sign. We have the sign at 10 through 13. Jesus' response is the sign, the sign itself. And Jesus says, uh, make the people sit down. Have them, have them all sit. Have them all sit down. And this word for sit down isn't uh, squat on the floor. It's recline. It's what they would do when they were having a feast. When they would have a feast, recline. It's what they did at the Passover. When the disciple was reclining on Jesus' breast, that's what he's saying. He's basically, Jesus said, tell them all to go down to that field. Tell them to chill. We're going to get dinner ready. (laughs) He's telling them, just lay down, relax. A banquet is coming. I'm the great host and I'm going to prepare a banquet for all of you in the wilderness. So the people just recline. And John says this, now there was much grass in that place. I don't know why, why, why would he say that? Okay. Well, because... The good shepherd has his sheep laying in these green pastures, and he's about to feed all of them. 
This, uh, so John 7 is filled with biblical imagery like this. It's not just a couple of verses. You have Second Kings, you have uh, Psalm 23 here. And now he, he's, he's getting ready now to feed his sheep. And uh, we have to think this way. In a barren world, God can feed us spiritually. Right? You look around, right, and uh, we have a very, very small congregation here. God can feed us here. Easy. No problem. He can, he can make green pastures here to feed us, to strengthen us. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. Wives, children, a modest number is 20,000 people. So he has a crowd of 20,000 people. And he takes the loaves, he gives thanks, and he breaks the bread and distributes it. And the disciples and those sitting down likewise, the fish, as much as they wanted. In Luke, Luke chapter 9, verse 16, it adds that he looked up to heaven, he blessed, he blessed it, broke it, and gave it to his disciples. That, that, the, those are the words of the Lord's Supper. That's what he does in the Lord's Supper. He, ta- he takes the bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives it. And now he's going to get into the bread of life discourse, that he is the bread from heaven. So you, the temple is built, the Passover is being celebrated, and Jesus isn't there because he is the real Passover lamb. And in a very true sense, it's, it's typological and symbolic, but all of these people that are there, they, there is a sense where they are partaking in the Passover. And Jesus is breaking this bread and he is providing for them. The, the, this is what um, the first title that he's given in the preaching of John the Baptist is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And this is who he is. And they ate as much as they This wasn't a snack, right? It's, it, this was no snack. They were full. This was a banquet. This is exactly what happened in the wilderness in Exodus chapter 16. When the people wanted bread and meat to eat, what did God do? God gave them bread from, it, it rained, it snowed, right? Snow is probably a better image. It snowed Hawaiian bread from heaven. <laughs> and, and meat just flooded uh, the people. Now, this is exactly what Jesus did. But Jesus says for them to gather up the fragments so that nothing could be lost. There's a difference here. When Moses uh, gave them bread, what did he tell them? Take only what you can eat. If you take any more, what's going to happen? It's going to rot and stink. Right? Not this. The works that Jesus does, greater than Elisha, greater than Moses. The the, the abundance, and and of course, this is part of the miracle, that he can provide in a barren and desert place. He can provide 
in abundance. And the disciples, the 12 of them, are standing there with baskets full of food when a little boy just had a couple of biscuits and some dry fish. Therefore they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten them. And now look at the response. Those, these Jews who had gone more than likely they were all coming, or part of them were coming for the Passover, but now they're diverted because Jesus is doing all of these miracles. These are devout Jews, and they understood the Old Testament, and they were waiting for the prophet that Moses had promised. And when they see this sign, what do they say? This is truly the prophet who is coming into the world. This has got to be the guy. This is him. So, let's make him our king. But the kind of king they wanted is not the, is not the king that Jesus came to be. The king they wanted was a political leader. All right, this guy can provide bread for us. He can heal us. When, so, if we're hungry, he can take care of us. If we're sick, he can heal us. We'll form an army, he'll lead us, and we'll conquer the world. We'll take back Jerusalem, we'll take back our land, and we'll conquer the world, and he'll be our king. Their mindset is very similar um, to a fault, maybe, with Philip's. They, they were thinking about the, the, the physical they had an attachment to what he could do that, that, was, that was now, today. We, we tend to do that. And when we lose the, those physical things, whatever it is, a person loses a job, they lose a home, they lose friends, they lose family, they lose their reputation, it, it destroys them. They can't handle it. They can't take it. It becomes too much and they were attached to what Jesus could provide in the here and now, and they weren't looking at any of the spiritual benefit that they could receive from him. Their interest wasn't in his doctrine. It was in what can I get out of him? What can he do for me? And that, you know what Jesus does with people like that? He leaves them. He doesn't want anything to do with people like that. He departs from them. He goes somewhere else. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain. And that's interesting. It's, it's the same word. He leaves again to the mountain by himself alone. He departs. And next week, We'll see what happens with him and his disciples after he departs. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity of gathering together this morning and considering your word and considering Christ, considering how the Old Testament, all of it, Lord, 
is a prophetic prefiguring of his person and his work. We thank you, Lord God, for uh, uh, making it so clear in this passage that, and that often, Lord, you test your people. You test us, not so that you might find out if we, if, uh, not, not so that you may find out what's in our heart, but so that we might find out what's in our hearts. And we thank you, Lord God, for the abundant provision that you have made for us in Christ by giving him to us the bread that came down from heaven. In his name we pray, amen.